welcome to today's podcast. We have a really fascinating guest today. Friday is usually a Bethany day, uh, but I'm on the board of the Zeph Center. Some of the board meetings uh, and and the accounting bean counting. Oh boy, it is. Uh, it, it makes my. It's very hard for me to understand. But we have these programming meetings. Um, where I can come back and share some great info with you. And then uh, earlier this week, uh, I was I was actually in the studio here, and I was virtual for this. And I heard Steve Capella talking about gambling. This hit really hard for me because sports betting is coming to Ohio, and uh, you'll hear me be completely transparent and forthcoming with why this really resonated with me. Um, as we begin our conversation, before we get to Steve, a couple of quick things. You know, I talk about my dad all the time. I, I, I've told you how devastated and broken I will be when he is no longer here. Um, love my dogs. I, I, and I talk about my brother occasionally. In fact, uh, I'm breaking my dad's rule from a couple of summers ago to not talk about other family on the air. But I can't not talk about this. I got up this morning to go drive to the gym or go get coffee as I usually do. My back tire left back tire has been a little weird. Every time it's gotten cold, I got to fill it up with air. Did it earlier this week. Today, I get in the car. It's at 30 PSI. I get out of my neighborhood. I'm around, I'm, I'm out, front, out in front of St. John's. It drops to 20 PSI. I was wondering if it was going flat as I was driving. So, roads are empty. I made a, uh, a safe turn into the gas station there across from St. John's, go back around, go home, reach out to my uh, to my brother. This was not this is clearly something very problematic. I didn't think the sensor was wrong. I'll make this a long story a little longer than shorter. I was about to spend a thousand dollars at AAA because they wanted to replace all of my tires because of it being being an all-wheel drive car and the tires have to be something. Paul Paul, my brother what do you know me for? Mental health, my nerdy transformer stuff. As I know those things, Paul magnified that stuff by 50, knows cars. He has loved cars since he was a tiny little boy. He works in car stuff now. Um, I won't get into that stuff. Not like uh, not like repairs or anything, but everything outside of repairs, he knows. Like He doesn't work on cars in that regard. Everything else he is a savant with. So, uh, I went from $1,000 for four tires, three of which I didn't need. He said, just just get one tire, which they were going to charge me $350 for. Paul says, that's a little high. So, after some things, we called around, and I was going to wait till the 26th for them to order me a tire. And I'd have to hope um, my tire held out. I'd have to fill it up with air all the time or put the spare on. Paul found online the exact tire I need for $218 with some shipping and tax, and it'll be here Monday where I will take it over to AAA, and they will put it on for another 20 bucks. Over the course of our family's lifetime, Paul has saved us thousands of dollars. I said to my dad today, I was like, with all that Paul has saved us, we can all drive Ferraris. If by some chance I ever encounter you, and it's a a car advice situation, know that it's coming from my brother and he will save you money. Don't be stubborn. He will talk to you. He'll get me info to give to you. I've always told him that he could be like a car concierge where he will buy cars for people to get them the best deals. And he said, there's already people like that, but he could do things like he did with me today where he saved me at least 750 bucks. 
Hit me up for Paul anytime. Next, Gabrielle, the former rowing coach at Notre Dame. Apparently, um, some parents had reached out and her sexuality, I believe, was not a secret. She was gay, is gay. It was not a secret, but it wasn't talked about. And I guess a parent reached out and the story's in the blade and I shared it on my socials today. And uh, eventually, there, there was some murmuring. Clearly, the temperature had gone up a little bit. And she magnanimously resigned instead of whatever was going to happen to her. She read the the writing on the wall. And this is why I struggle and have so so many problems with so much of many religions outside of my own, which I will candidly say is probably not perfect. Um, That's not even regarding like Jewish versus Palestinian stuff in Israel. I'm sure there's parts of my religion that I don't know about that are absolutely abhorrent. But for the most part, I think we're pretty damn welcoming uh, in, in, in Judaism. I certainly know that we are not against gay marriage. I mean, it bothers me that in other religions where there is such disdain for that and you will wind up in every depth of hell for doing such a thing, I get it. Those religions and those teachings are trying to create better humans in their view. In this case, the the zenith of humanity is Gabrielle for her magnanimous gesture to step away. And I will fully support her. And if I can help find this woman a job or create any kind of happiness for her, she is what places of deep religion with some pretty exclusionary beliefs They're trying to achieve. She's really got it. Steve Capella, who has a lot of letters after his name and has a fascinating mountain of insight about gambling, which is closer to touch than you would ever imagine. And you'll get that from Steve now. Steve Capella. I I got that right, right? Yes, sir. And it is is an uh, alphabet soup of letters beyond your name. Yes, I, um, I have become addicted to success and achievement. And I actually have 29 letters behind my name, but fundamentally, I am a licensed independent social worker with my supervision designations and a licensed independent chemical dependency counselor. I was the 19th person in the state of Ohio to earn my gambling credentials, and I am an internationally certified gambling counselor. I came across Steve the other day because I guess I'm technically your boss. I'm on, I'm the I'm on the board of Zeph. That's why I call you sir. <laughs> I loved your presentation the other day and that's what we're going to talk about. You're here to talk about gambling. We might go a little beyond that afterwards. Um and let me be completely transparent. Um my role at Q105 for Cumulus, um I have been part of a DraftKings campaign they've been running to promote uh legalized sports gambling that's coming here to Ohio. Now that I've gotten that part out of the way, um I loved your presentation the other day, and it made me think back to my health class when I was a kid, where um, in the in the 90s, I just assumed if, if I had sex with somebody as a teen, the person was going to get pregnant or I was going to get AIDS, because I was so frightened. Right. But then they're like, you you can do this safely. And then as I got a little bit older, there's, there's responsible drinking. And as we enter gambling here legally in Ohio, there's a responsible way to go about it. And that's where I want to hand things off to you, how we can go about the responsible part. And then we'll move on and maybe look for signs of gambling addiction. So encyclopedize me, I guess. Well, first, let me say that in no way am I or Zeph Center uh, or even the treatment community 
in the state of Ohio anti-gambling. But we are, in fact, very much uh, responsible gambling, pro-responsible gambling. And, and um, th- the interesting thing about gambling in the state of Ohio is that most people don't think about this, but it it's it's starting with children now, and it, and it moves up through every generation, through every classification of people across the citizenry. It is no respecter of color or creed or gender or anything. This affects everyone. And in, in 2012, before the casinos came to Ohio, the state did a prevalence study, and they said that of all the people who gambled, 5% might meet the criteria for gambling disorder. Well, that's still a substantial number of people, but they built the casinos, and in 2017, they did the same study even bigger, and that 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 statistic has changed. And that statistic became um, 11% of people who gambled might do so problematically. They are in the process of, of redoing that in an even bigger study right now, and, and estimates are that I'm hearing is they're, they're expecting it, that prevalence rates may be up to almost 18 percent. And, and I, the, I'm sure COVID fueled some of that and, and the financial problems everyone struggled with for two and a half years. Well, and, and, and grab hold of the supercomputer in your pocket yeah. and, 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 and go to any public space and see how many people are talking and how many people are fiddling with their, their phones. But here's the scary part. We give 10-year-olds supercomputers with international ac- access to gambling venues around the world. And then mom and dad, because they pay their allowance through their their iPhone bill or their credit card bill on their in their phones, um, you know, allow kids to buy things. And, and what they don't understand is that many times they're they're gambling inside these video games. In, in loot boxes and skins and things called microtransactions. Can we talk a little bit about that? I'm sure if anybody's listening right now, they have a general idea of that because they're they're a parent and they know that uh, the debit card keeps getting dinged with that. Can you talk about some signs? And, and there could be legitimate signs in a 10 or a 12-year-old of the beginning of a gambling addiction and how to responsibly do that? Uh, I, th- I think the signs of... of Gambling addiction in young people is very similar to the signs of gambling addiction in in older people, and it's it's I disengage from my daily activities. I become completely irresponsible with money. I'm withdrawing. I'm not doing my homework. I'm not going to work. I'm emotionally unstable. I'm extremely distracted. Um, it, it gets a little more complicated as you get older. Sure, um, but. You know, I have had parents refer young people to me because they had spent six or seven hundred dollars a month on transactions that were between seventy-five and ninety-nine cents a piece. Yeah, and and the problem with with microtransactions and skins, and let me explain what they are because I know you know. But yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah. Please, a, a skin would be. Let's say that you have a character. Let's say Batman. <clears throat> Batman, but. But regular Batman has a black cape. Well, yep. that that's not sexy enough. Okay, <laughs> so I want, I want Batman with a Technicolor cape and a red mask. Well, a skin would be an actual filter that you would put on your character. That you would you would buy this 
this filter, and it would give you the Technicolor cape and the red mask that you want for your... But these things can be hugely expensive. Um, A loot box, on the other hand, is this magical compartment that will usually appear inside of a a video game. There's multiple kinds and styles, but it's it's almost like a lottery ticket, Mm -hmm. where, where... for a small fee, usually a dollar and ninety-nine cents, sometimes less, um, you can open up that box, and that box may have that Batman cape you've always wanted. Now, the interesting thing is, for parents whose kids are engaged in these games, you know, back in our day, I'm sixty-one, so I'm I'm a fossil, but. But when my parents gave me money to buy video games, they thought I was buying new games. Right. What's happening with these kids is is they are buying all these opportunities to get all these things to enhance their characters. And a couple of years ago, me and my sons presented at the Nash, at the state gambling conference in Columbus, and they brought their gaming computers, and we did a presentation on loot boxes and skins, and people were flabbergasted to see that some of these things cost, you know, $15,000. Yeah. You can buy a a digital sword that doesn't even exist in reality for $15,000. And these things are greatly sought after. Kids want them so bad they can taste it, but they can't afford $15,000. So they're buying multiple, multiple, multiple chances of winning it. And it's very much like an adult who buys... Two hundred dollars worth of of lottery tickets every week, or, right? Or however many they can afford. And as one of the largest gambling programs in Ohio, I've um, yeah, I've worked with many clients who take their paycheck immediately to the gas station and transform it into a stack of lottery. Tickets. Can we briefly talk uh, about lottery tickets? And I don't want to spend too much time on this, so I'll ask the question as quickly as I can, and then we'll, we'll jump on to some other things. Uh, lottery was a big deal because of Powerball stuff. Um, I hope more and more people know that that some lotteries, and maybe all lot, these lotteries can be predatory, a certain, especially on certain communities, correct? Uh, you know, I really agree with that. And one of my big concerns has always been the lotteries, uh, an Ohio lottery tries to be responsible, but the, the the imagery around Christmas and Santa Claus and sleighs and lottery tickets, uh, gifting lottery tickets during the holidays or, or any time of the year is just just a horrible idea. And, and parents who would never think of buying their kids marijuana will often buy their kids gambling instruments. Mm-hmm. Um, and... And imagine that dynamic. You've got a, an eight-year-old, a ten-year-old, and a twelve-year-old, and we all get five dollars worth of tickets, and the eight-year-old wins a thousand dollars. Well, how is that going to affect the fi- family dynamic? And then to the eight-year-old, now he has discovered this magical way to gain notoriety and fame and power, and a thousand dollars to him is. Is Elon Musk money? He, yeah, he's going to start his own space program. I was thinking. Obviously, that's a perfect example, but I was thinking more predatory in the sense uh, color communities of color and low income. You know what? I think there it comes to the old real estate adage, location, location, location. Because, and it's funny because I, I like to think of them as the addiction centers. Yeah. There are little addiction centers all over town. Some sell gas and some don't, where you can go in there and buy tobacco products, drug products. Pel- 
I can't say it. Drug Part, paraphernalia? That is the word, <laughs> my friend. Uh, drug paraphernalia, lottery instruments, um, virtually every vice known to man can be acquired in these single locations, and they generate so much money. And and I think even at some point, the most well-intentioned uh, government bureaucrats and bureaucracies fall victim to that desire to to make as much money as they possibly can. Everything is a business. Nobody got into business to lose money. That's exactly um, right. We'll jump ahead a little bit and we'll go from kids and maybe we'll have time to come back to that later on. Um, for adults, people are familiar with that. They've seen the commercials forever. You think of casinos, you think of, of some sports betting, but this is online stuff that, that's coming here. Um, what is a way for an adult to responsibly gamble? And I heard you say the other day, um, during the, the wonderful informative call, you said, we're, we're going to go out to dinner at the casino, then we'll gamble for 30 minutes. And I instantly thought, well, you lose a lot of money in 30 minutes. And what I had always heard, and I'm not a, I'm not a gambler. Um, I'll do some games here and there with my friends, but I, I have my other vices. They're, they're, I have thousands of Transformers. <laughs> it's my collection. I mean, we all gamble in some way. Um, sorry, to get back to the point. Isn't it better to have an amount in your head? And I think the saying, the phrase I learned was, you know what you're willing to lose and don't go anywhere beyond that. I, I think I think there's a couple of sides to the argument and it depends, it depends on the motivation of the people. Uh, many people would do exactly that. They would limit the amount of money. Uh, other people are very low intensity gamblers. But they play slowly. And, That's my and, dad at the penny slots. Right, right, right. He just right. wants and, time to pass. Right, right. And he's, he's going to go three hours and if he's... He's like my my aunt, who God bless her soul, would spend five hours in the casino and lose thirty dollars. Yeah, my da- my dad's there. He he does the penny slots one because he's cheap, but two, it lets him sit there longer to look at women a third of his age. He likes <laughs> right, that. Right. <laughs> so that makes sense from the time perspective of it. So right. So so whether it's what what it really comes down to whatever is most effective for the individual or or family, because many couples go. Uh, and even adult children, and it can be that function. But whether you limit the amount of time, or the uh, the amount of money, or um, if it, it, but you're exactly right. You can only gamble within your means, and you should never borrow money to gamble. You should not put gambling on credit cards. Um, I, I think I wrote the phrase down here, only bet what you can afford to lose regardless of, of whether it's sports or the casino. And I always had the the reasoning in my head. If everybody says, let's go spend 200 bucks at the casino tonight, I'm like, well, wait a second. That could be going in like eight minutes. I'd rather go spend $200 at Final Cut where I can enjoy that. But we're all different people. What are some other responsible gambling tips? Um <clears throat> I think you need to know the risks before you bet. You, you, there, there is gambling with a, a reason of re, with an amount of reserve, and then there's just reckless, dumb gambling where you walk up to the roulette table and empty out your pocket, uh, or maybe you don't know those games. And, and is that? I'm sorry to interrupt. Is that another big hint? Don't play table. Don't feel forced to play tables if you don't know what you're getting into. And that's right. And and I I believe the casinos actually have classes if. And I'm not recommending you do that, but <laughs> they can teach you to lose your money. Well, and they'll be more than happy to do it. And, yes, and and God bless their souls. They're just trying to run a business, yeah. and and most people who go to the casinos do so responsibly. Yeah. Um, 
But there, let me just say this. I am, I am a recovery guy. I am in recovery, and gambling is very much a part of that story. And no casino ever took anything from me. Yeah. I gave it to them mm-hmm. every time, without exception. And, and so, you know, some of the responsible gambling um, tips, I would say, is you, you got to understand that everybody loses over time. Yeah, it's it's a statistical impossibility that you will always win because they don't build billion dollar casinos to take thousandaires and make them right. into millionaires. And, and there's no there's no sorcery around a machine. You don't have a feeling that this one's going to hit like that. That's ridiculous, right? Well, it's that that's magical thinking, and <laughs> and and to and to a certain degree, there's something called ritualization. And and I got some great stories. I, I used to work with this lady, and she would go in the machine, and she would take her little Kleenexes and she would wipe the whole machine down and get all the fingerprints off and she would talk to it and she would never let them see, the machine see all of her money and she would only put in 120 at a time and play for a few minutes and cash out and and I asked her I she was telling me this and she'd love the machine and talk to it and I said well how did it end up she goes oh, I'd be kicking that thing when I was yeah <laughs> before I left uh, a statistic that I'm familiar with again my what my knowledge is more in sports gambling this is what I and you. Tell me if I'm wrong here. If you win in sports, if you're betting games and whatnot, and I know you can you can bet pitches now in baseball. It's insane because of our phones, and we can get maybe get to that later on. If you win sixty percent of the time you're gambling in sports, you're basically a savant, right? That's probably true. I'm yeah. not a big sports okay. guy, but but I can tell you that knowing more is no guaranteeing of right. winning because right. at the end. The last flip of the card, roll of the dice, the last play is is luck. It's going to be what it's going to be. And there is no advanced knowledge of that outcome. Right. There is information in sports gambling. I have a very good friend whose career has gone uh, supernova. We worked together back in Pennsylvania, moved mm-hmm. out to Vegas, um, was a very responsible gambler, loved football. Now he's on ESPN on one of their gambling shows. He gets super responsible, great guy, great friend. And uh, he his intelligence fascinates me, but he's him and he doesn't know everything. Nobody knows everything. Right. Because if you did, we like you said, we would all be millionaires. We all would have bet the Packers to lose last night, whatever the heck the line was. Um, suicide and mental health issues with this. You, you said something the other day that really struck me. And I think you said that there was a pretty high percentage of people who take their lives when they are addicted to gambling. And I was trying to process that and it eventually made a lot of sense. But you tell me if this is the thinking. If I have a drinking problem, me dealing with my depression, um, I know as much as my brain tells me I am doomed, I know there is help. I can go get medication. I can go see a therapist. The bad day will pass. If I lose 60 grand, that money ain't coming back. That's exactly it. And I think there's another piece of it. Gambling is the hidden addiction. If you are drinking, everyone knows you're drinking. <laughs> yeah. If, if you are, if you are engaging in smoking crack cocaine, and no one else in the world cares what's on the floor like you do, uh, people who are addicted to opiates, they can spend huge sums of money. Um, but a gambler, you're right, could spend sixty thousand dollars in an afternoon is is savings, and it, and it's, I've had these people in my office, and they're their college money, lose it all in an afternoon, stone cold sober. No no counselor, no medication will get that back. Well, and and go home and tell your wife that. <laughs> Ex- soon to be ex-wife. Right. Well, and, and much more tragically, we deal, I deal with a lot of people 
and, and one of the short, you know, we have drug courts. But, but because gambling is such a hidden addition, there's no gambling courts. And I've heard judges say, I've never seen gamblers in my court. Well, mm. I've testified in court many times. And they're in court all the time, in divorce court and bankruptcy court and criminal court. But no person ever walked up to the judge and said, yeah, I'm a problem gambler, because it it, it doesn't do them any good. Right. It, we have no a couple minutes left here with this part of the, the show. Well, let's go to some help. I, the number gets read very quickly at the end of commercials. How can people get... We talked about when they should seek help. It's like anything else, when it impacts your life on a, on a daily basis. How can people get help? What's that process like? Like, what, what, how do you get the addiction out of someone? Um, from accessing help, I mean, the, probably the best way you can call the Zeff Center. We have the largest gambling treatment program or the Ohio Problem Gambling Helpline, which is 1-800-589-9966. But gambling treatment is a, is a very non-threatening, almost relieving treatment. We don't spend so much time fighting the addiction because when you try and fight an addiction, and I'm 14 years sober, so I I speak from a certain perspective. When you try and fight an addiction, there's nothing to win but not doing the thing you think you enjoy doing. Mm -hmm. All right, so so we're not going to fight the addiction. We're going to fight for responsibility because... In many, in in all cases, the opposite of addiction is responsibility. There's no, there's no area of your life that being more responsible doesn't make your life better. There's no area of your life that being less responsible makes your life worse. And and there are some some uh, PhDs who would say that connection is the opposite. But at the level I work, if you're still stealing your mom's wedding rings, you're not going to connect right. until you become responsible. Let me a- ask you this question, and we might not have time to finish it here in this part of the, the recording. When there's a drug or alcohol addiction, those two things deeply affect your brain chemistry. Um Gambling does, but perhaps not to that degree because it's not a chemical going into your body, right? You know, you would think so, but as a as a recovered gambler, I can tell you that walking out of a bar, walking out of a casino, and walking out of a drug house was the exact same experience for me. That un, I get it. That horrible. I would sell my mother's soul for just one more hour, for one more bet, one more one more anything and um i I think the really interesting thing about do you know at the zeff center we identify one out of five people in in our entire substance use disorder population which is probably a thousand people one out of five likely meets the criteria for gambling disorder yeah which is a which is an absolutely amazing statistic but think about it. You've already got a group of people with a predisposition towards, towards addiction. an addiction. And and then there's the hierarchy of addiction. Okay, if I got $100, I'm going to drink, drug, and gamble. If I, if I got $50, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, get high and gamble because, you know what? Gambling is the only addiction that just might make your life better. You, yeah. you just could maybe... And, and I'll tell you what, um, it, but but when you're completely broke and you got three dollars left and you can't get drugs, and 
And what most people will do is go buy a few lottery tickets to try and win some money to come back up. And so, you know, I always ask people, I said, are are you a a drug addict with a gambling problem Mm. or a gambler with a drug problem? Because I see so many people who can put down the drugs and stay sober for a period of time but are still buying scratch-off tickets, still going to the casino. How can people get in touch with you and then the Zeff resources? Uh, You can go to Zeff Center, uh, Zeff Center's uh, website. Uh, You can look us up in the phone book, or if you call, actually, we are the only service provider within 20 counties in Northwestern Ohio. So if you call the Problem Gambling Helpline, you will be connected to some excellent resources. We'll be one of them, and that number is, again, one 800 Five eight nine ninety nine sixty six, and you will rapidly be speaking to me. Awesome. All right, so that's contact. That's done. We're pressing on. We got another fifteen minutes or so. Can we go back to the kids stuff? Um, and if you want to monologue or rant, because I want to sit here in awe about phones and with sports gambling coming and the video games and just how much this gets under your skin and, and just really how dangerous it can be and how. Parents might not understand that this is this is as you said like gambling. It, it, well, it, it is in fact gambling, and a lot of times, you know, I think more people in this world have been killed with love than any other substance. And and because I would like to be killed with love. <laughs> well, no, think about this. I, I love my kids, so I buy my ten year old okay the 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 brand new iPhone. And then I, I attach my credit card to it because I love him and he can get his his um, his allowance paid through that because, you know, he goes to the store and he gets gum. I get it. I get it. But he doesn't do that. He's, he's you know, engaged in, first of all, you don't know because I've talked to many, many young people who are gambling across, you know, international, mm. um, <clears throat> look, when we were kids, I, I would have... I would have swore I was 18 years old and checked the box to play the video game that I wanted to play. And kids have not changed at all, and they are still going to check the box and figure out how they're going to be able to access adult gambling games if that's if that's what they want to do. If they're into poker, if they're into video games. It used to be um, that if, if you wanted to gamble, I would have to go to Las Vegas. I'd have yeah. to go to Atlantic City. I'd have to go... And then in 2012, and this is no fault of the casinos, they built the casinos, and and then you had to drive across town. Mm-hmm. Well, well, now, since two years ago when I got, I had, they made me get rid of my flip phone. Um, <laughs> you know about skins and loot boxes, so that that's your in. <laughs> right, right, right. So I get a pass. But, yes, but um, but now. You know, you don't have to. You don't have to go to Las Vegas. You don't have to go to Rossford. You, you know, you got kids laying in bed at night, or parents um, playing. You know, and sports betting coming is even going to be even worse. But, but, but I, I I'm working with some folks right now, and in, in online bingo, yeah, is just tearing them up. I, I know you talked about some older people before, and I, and even before. I mean, my dad would never gamble on his phone. He hates even using speakerphone. But I, I've heard of some stories. I mean, 
Now, I'm, this is why I want to have this conversation. Gambling is, is invisible and more pervasive than anybody would give it credit for. I'm sure in the past, someone would laugh at a 78-year-old who gambled the way thousands at bingo. That person might have taken their life, and that was a form of, of gambling. Right, right. A I, lo- I, and I, when you pulled up your phone, I thought we were going to go through an exercise, and I think the I thought the exercise was going to be, in five minutes, in five minutes, with nothing on my phone right now, I could probably get an app and place a bet for a game tonight. You know what? I I wouldn't doubt it. And and here's the scary part. I have seen commercials where like, we'll forgive your first $500 in losses. Yeah. Well, if we're going to forgive your first $500 in losses, what are we perceiving that you're going to bet? Yeah. Because a big discount on a product, you know, is is 20%. Are we assuming yeah. you're going to spend $10,000? Are you a sport are you a sports guy at all football fan? I I enjoy watching my wife watch sports. Okay. Um because there's lots of praying and throwing things and But I am not a fan. No. This this week I've come across people trying to pray away gun violence. Uh, and and praying the gay away and praying for Taylor Swift tickets. It doesn't work. It doesn't <laughs> right. work during games. Um, I go back to six, seven, eight years ago watching football games on Sunday, and it wasn't the content. It was the overwhelming nature of was it FanDuel, like the daily fantasy commercials that were playing like oh, right. every break during a football game. And again, it, it wasn't the product. It was the overwhelming nature of it. But that really was a watershed moment for people realizing that, oh, I don't have to wait till just Sunday. I can bet on a, on a, I can bet on a game and not like fantasy sports stuff, which is also gambling to a degree, but I can bet Tuesday night on a Mets Yankees game if I want. Here's the thing. It's not any one form of gambling. Since since 1974, when the Ohio Lottery uh, came to Ohio, you know we have had a thousand-fold increase in the the opportunities to gamble. When I was a little kid, there was you went to the bookie, you went to the racetrack, and or the check pool, and and that was it. Are you telling me you didn't play quarters in the bathroom in school? Well, I might have done. A little bit. <laughs> But but and and that's still going on yeah. dig, digitally on somebody's phone. But because uh, I doubt kids carry quarters because they have right. I, I'll know. Venmo you. You know Venmo, right? I know what it Cat, is. I don't do it. Venmo no. Cash App. You know. Okay. Yeah. It, it's it's a. Is there? I'm sure. A question people are wondering amid this conversation. I am. Um, does the money for lotteries and like the casino does it go back into healthy places? I think with all good intentions, it mm. does. But what happens is I think sometimes, you know, like this is I, I'm not saying this. I think this is please. You know, they said when the lottery came that all the money was going to go towards the schools. And I'm sure it did because they wrote that into the legislation. Mm-hmm. But then the 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 people and they said, well, now that you've got all this money, we can take the other money out. Right. Uh, OK. And, and so, you know, did it did it really help? Well, Maybe for the first year it did. Yeah. Um, and so, but I'm going to tell you what, the state of Ohio did something absolutely brilliant when they let the casinos come back. And in the enabling uh, legislation, they said that 2% of the profit from the casinos would go to pay for gambling treatment and prevention programs, which means that that gambling treatment is free for the asking. And, and although it is not free, it is free to the user. And if and if anybody is curious about gambling treatment, you can come talk to me. Um, 
contact me at the Zeph Center, and you will not be charged for the, for that program. If the state of Ohio ever legalizes marijuana or any kind of drugs, if they had the same wisdom to take two to five percent of that of the profit on those sales and put that towards drug and alcohol and mental health treatment programs, um, we would change the world. Yeah. In, in, in the in the in the world of gambling treatment and prevention, there's something called the Ohio model, and the Ohio model has proven incredibly successful, and we we lead the many other states in, in gambling treatment and prevention, but the foundational piece was to provide that, that funding that allowed a, a group of professionals dedicated to that, that addiction to, be, to come into play. And, and I, I think if, if they ever legalized other substances, if they did the same thing, it would it would be a watershed moment in, yeah. in treatment because people struggle to get those treatment, especially residential treatment, paid for. Can I share two personal anecdotes with you? Sure. Um, so I grew up in Philadelphia, and you went to Atlantic City to gamble. That was it. And I was very familiar. Like my dad told, he explained that you go to you go to Atlantic City. We went a lot because we were a Jewish family. You go down and all the all the shore play all the places on the Monopoly board. Right. Or you go to Vegas. So I was very familiar with this. In 1999, I moved to Detroit. All these casinos had just popped up. Right. And it was it was wild for me to experience um, as a kid, just knowing. Oh, I thought they were only in, in Atlantic City. I moved back home to Philadelphia at some point and. Uh, there was like an over-concentration of casinos um, in the eastern part of Pennsylvania and central Pennsylvania. And I, I watched um, the casinos that were legendary that had been in movies and whatnot. And the Trump um, all vanished in Atlantic City because all these other casinos had popped right. up all over the place. My other story was uh, Ben Affleck, who uh, it was funny if you read through his words. This is not a person, I don't know him or anything, but it was funny reading the story. He never had a gambling problem. He had a winning problem, <laughs> which right. was, ga- like, we should all be so lucky as that. And right. I, don't, I don't mean to make light of it, but it's like, he won a lot, but not, no one's going to do that. You, you know, I was in, <laughs> I'll never forget this. I was in uh, um, Atlantis and Michael Jordan was there and it was in his heyday. Historic gambler. And uh, yes. And, and, and they said, I don't know this for a fact, but there is a, beautiful suite that extends uh between the two major hotels on the on the island there and that that was supposed to be where he was staying and he was down at the blackjack tables with about a hundred security guards around him and and he was right in the middle and he was playing five thousand dollars a hand and he must have lost 30 or 40 hands and just walked away like you know like he lost his lunch money do you do you believe I don't know how much of conspiracy is or it's factual and David Stern died. So we'll never know. Do you, do you think he, David Stern sat him down for his gambling issues in Atlantic city rather than him wanting to go play baseball? You know, who knows? (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny. You talk, you say Jordan and I think of Charles Barkley and his hideous golf swing and he's just a great personality, but I, I have friends. uh, They're not, they don't like to play golf. They just happen to hit some balls while they're drinking. Right. Similar. Right, right. You bring up Jordan. It's like he just had that personality where certain people like him couldn't do anything unless there was money on the line because right. they were they were so competitive. Well, you know, and this is a little bit left to field of what we're talking about, but I think it it it's worth noting. 
a lot of times we judge people's gamblings by our own financial wherewithal. And 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 I was in a meeting one time, and, and there were some preventionists and all well-intentioned people, and they were like, you know, casinos shouldn't be allowed to take more than $5,000 from any one person. Oh, on, uh, stop. <laughs> well, and, 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 and in my mind, I'm thinking, well, there is a thing called you know, personal responsibility. Sure. And, and, and I'm thinking, you know, that's fine. And in your world, that is a perfectly sensible number. But, but what if you own a major corporation? What if Miguel Cabrera wants to come down here and gamble at Hollywood Casino? Yeah. Yeah. What if Michael Jordan wants to come down and play, you know, black jacket in Hollywood? It ain't going to happen, but, but, you know, who am I to say what is a sure. an appropriate amount of money? Um, you know, you, you could have $5 million in the bank and I've got 50000 and we're going to look at that money in completely different ways. Humans have a lot of flaws. It's amazing that we're still alive, even though we're doing our damnedest to rid, our, rid the planet of ourselves. But uh, we have a way of putting our beliefs and standards on other people very easily. And I think a a younger generation, mine, millennials, Gen Z are doing a better job of being more empathetic. So hopefully we'll stick around for another quarter of a million years. But to end our conversation, I wouldn't bet on it. (laughs) Another bad pun. I made a good bet a good risk to have you have this visit and it was as thrilling and as informative as I expected. It was great to meet you. I'm sorry with all my time in the Zeff Center that I just came across your path and I hope we made Deb happy. Well, and I, you know, if you ever would like me to come back, just give me five minutes notice and I will be here. I want to hear, I'm going to get into the other recovery stuff uh, and I'll stop recording here in a second, but I want to get this on tape. Uh, What other recovery are you in? Alcoholism? Yes, I... I was addicted to morphine when I was 13 oh. years old after a, 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 a Boy Scout incident. I okay. broke my hips. Uh, I've been homeless. I've been spent a couple years in jail. I was addicted to crack cocaine. I'm an alcoholic. I sobered up in jail at 47. Spent a couple years working on me in 12-step recovery. And and uh, got a job as a counselor assistant. And uh, I, I loved it. And I it, it transformed my life. And I said, you know, if I'm going to do this. I'm going to be the best. And at 50, I went to college and and built this career. And I, I think if I have a strength, it is that when I'm talking to somebody about addiction, I'm not wondering why they did it. I know why they did it. I, I probably did it for the same reason they did. It's a... Uh... I get it too. Like I, I told you, I, I struggle to, enjoy, I struggle to experience happiness and enjoy. Like my depression has really squashed that down. But what I do, most people go to counseling because they feel like they're just in the the rat race of life. Right. Got to take. I got to keep the job. I hate the job, but I got to get take care of the family. Blah blah blah. They they go to counseling. Like why am I here? I actually have an immense sense of per. I want the fun. My purpose bucket is filled because, and you can probably relate to this for what you just said. When I go do my talks to kids, whoever, that purpose is is absolute euphoria for me. It's a high to walk oh, out of that room where I'm like I'm literally emotionally gassed because I shared myself. And then when somebody comes up to me afterwards, or they reach out, like the same high somebody would get from crack. I get that high from somebody emailing saying, you don't know how much you, you saved my life or you helped me talk right. to my husband going right. through this. You know, I, I think we have something in common and that is 
I don't have to go to work. I, I get to go yeah. to work. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I feel the same way. Steve Capella, thank you so much. Part two, we'll get it in the books. Thank you so much. Hey, I appreciate you. Thanks, brother.